Hello, everybody, and welcome to the world's favorite youth baseball podcast, Clearing the Bases, featuring coach Jimmy Filangieri. I'm David Friedman, and I want to thank you for coming along this ride with us. How are we doing today, coach? Doing good today, Dave, now that I have this new podcast studio figured out. You know, we talk about adversity, and we talk about learning and failing, and, you know, all of these things to try and make our baseball players better at what they do. Well, I was faced with that challenge with this new studio, so as we were recording this episode, as you know, my audio was terrible, and I apologize to everyone listening in advance because my my audio is not clear, it's not consistent, it, uh, it was just bad because I was struggling with the new studio to try and get things right. But you know what? If we stay the course, we work hard, we don't give up, and we work through it, well, good things will happen. So, you know, here we are now doing this intro, and I believe I've got it figured out, and my, my audio is back where it should be. But other than that, I'm still enjoying my time away from baseball. And to tell you the truth, it's a good thing that the podcast studio came when it did, because I have so much time, I was able to devote that time to, you know, working the bugs out and getting back to where we are here. So, yeah, it, it, it's a good thing. Oh, geez, and don't let me forget to thank Jonathan Reinbold. Jonathan spent countless hours on the, on the phone, Zoom calls, text messages with me to try and help me get this thing set up. He was extremely valuable in getting me to where I am with it. So, again, big shout out to Jonathan. Thank you so much. So let's get into talking a little bit about our guest this week. So our guest this week is a gentleman named Bill Ekstrom. Bill is an international keynote speaker and a best-selling author of a book called The Coaching Effect. He is also a renowned TEDx talk presenter. So there are many topics that we're going to cover with Bill, but rather than talk about it now, I think we'll jump right into this show and you can hear it straight from Bill. So we're on the line with Bill Ekstrom. He is the founder and CEO of the Excel Institute. Welcome to the show, Bill. Well, thank you, David. Jimmy, it's fun to be with you both. Thanks for coming, Bill. We really appreciate it. So we've been going back and forth trying to set this up for a little while. We appreciate you coming on, taking the time to see us. Why don't you go ahead and give us a quick snapshot of your background and what you're doing these days? Oh, uh, wow. Okay. Please stop me if I go too long on this. I think what's pertinent to this conversation is some years ago, we started a company on the business side. Excel Institute was just business only, where we really focused on helping leaders become better coaches at work. And we spent a long time quantifying what the best ones do. And we're able to quantify their behaviors and measure uh, the impact they're having on their teams at work. And then that led to um, shortly after my first TED talk, uh, I got reached out to by a college in Toronto, Canada, who said, hey, you know, we believe your work applies to the world of sports. And would you come work with us? And I, my response was, well, thank you. It's flattering, but we've never worked in sports. And I've always wanted to because I grew up as an athlete and my life revolved around it. And uh, so in spite of my trying to tell them that I may not be the best fit, uh, I did it and we had a great time. It worked well. And that kind of started the journey back in 2017. In 2019, right before COVID, we were doing a lot of work, meaning studying and trying to figure out how much of our work applies um, does you know do the same behaviors and 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 words that great leaders in business use? Does it apply in the world of of coaching student athletes? And what was fun to see about ninety percent crossover. Uh, so the same same things that great leaders are doing to create high performing profitable teams in business are the same behaviors that we see in in the coaching world when they provide student athletes an amazing experience. And now education, you know, uh, somebody said, well, your work in business and athletics, I mean, certainly has to work to teachers in the classroom, right? And again, pretty much everything crossed over there too. So we, uh, you know, under, understand and quantify the impact teachers have on students, the coaches have on student athletes, both in middle school, high school, club and college, and, and of course, in the business side. So 
that's pretty much what I'm up to these days. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, and, and I know there's a lot more to it, but um, yeah, our listeners will know that I use analogies all the time from my, my quote unquote, real life business world life to my sports life with my coaching, whether it be stuff I've done with my kids or at my, my actual kids or my kids that I coach. So I do feel like basically if you're a leader, you're a leader. If you have, if you have the, the good leadership skills and, and personality that should be able to transcend the, this specific industry or the, this specific uh, activity. You're right, David, it does exactly that. So what I'd like to do, Bill, is jump into a few things that I've heard you talk about. And the first thing that I was really curious about, transformational versus transactional coaches or coaching, and what's the difference and why does it matter? Well, first of all, let's, let's, let's take a step back. The, the stigma, and certainly we hope we're not contributing to this, uh, the stigma between transactional and transformational, I think, is inaccurate meaning that we have to look at transformational coaching and transactional coaching as kind of this, this journey, meaning that there's not one way is the right way. To become a transformational coach, you have to be good transactionally as well. So we have to work through a transactional, basically a transactional set of behaviors in order to become transformational. And simplistically put, if, um, for example, I was helping out a volleyball team and I don't know much about volleyball. Now, if I have a lot of transformational behaviors, but I could not have been a transformational coach to the young women because I did not know technically basically how to run a 5-1 offense from a 6-2 offense, right? So one has to be effective transactionally before they can become effective transformationally. And then there are times and places for each. If I lose my top two pitchers and six of my other eight starters on the field, right? Then that next year, I probably am going to be doing, start with a lot of transactional coaching. They don't understand our routines. They don't understand our drills. They, so we're going to have to be doing a lot of, you know, put your feet here. Here's how the drills run. A lot of transactional work to get people to a certain point. Now, the opposite of that is, right, I return both my starting pitchers. I've got six of my other people on the field back in my starting lineup, now I can begin to do a lot more transformational work. Instead of focusing on drills and doing them the correct way, I might turn to my seniors or my leaders on the team and have them doing that. Instead of dictating strategy, now we talk about strategy as a group. So there's a lot of different ways to be transactional and transformational, but understand it as kind of this journey and there are different times I need to be transactional, but to become transformational, I have to take it to another step. And depending on my team, I may not be able to get there right away. Does that help at all? Yeah, yeah, to a degree, I would say. So I think the, the transactional is more of the X's and O's for, to, to, to break it down in terms of what you're saying. The actual developing the physical skills and the repetition, all that. So and the the transformational uh, i guess a little harder to define than that it, it is it, and we haven't even really put a definition on it yet but transformational becomes w- when i can dig into your soul when i can get into your when when i ask you to do things beyond just a skill set to make yourself and the team better So transformational coaches know how important it is to get to know people beyond the baseball diamond. Transactional coaches understand that who, whether I can push Jimmy further than I can push David or vice versa, depending on what's going on in your life. You know, I knew Jimmy's grandfather was ill. And so we had to back off a little bit. Transformational coaching is very individualized. 
and it really acknowledges the growth and development of an individual as a, and when you do that, the team goes with it. So it seems like the, the transformational part is the harder part of coaching. Okay. The X's and O's can be taught. I don't want to say easily because I don't, I don't believe there's anything about coaching that's easy, but the, the X's and O's are things that can be learned very quickly if you do your studying, the transformational is a little tougher. It's like we talk about all the time in terms of mental performance of athletes. So, you know, being able to work with, with players on their mental performance is a lot tougher than working on them how to turn a double play. Right. <laughs> exactly. It's, you know, you don't see many coaches at the levels we work with and you work with, you know, uh, because of their lack of knowledge of the game they're typically not losing their jobs right uh, because right. they don't understand the game of baseball they're typically losing their jobs because they don't understand their players they don't they do not get what we describe in our book as discretionary effort from their athletes and if i don't get discretionary effort you know because nothing stays static i'm either giving you more or i'm giving you less because of the relationship we have Right. That makes, that makes sense. So you talk about getting to know your players a little bit better. It's, it's essentially, it's the interpersonal relationship between the coach and the players. And again, this is where I think this can come into play, whether we're talking about sports, we're talking about business or, or whatever. If you don't develop some kind of interpersonal relationship and you just look at your, your employees or your players as the proverbial chess pieces to move around then you're never going to be able to unlock the best of the team as a whole. You might have your, your queen who's the highest ranking and the most powerful, but the pawns are going to remain pawns and not be able to get up to their next level. Yeah, I think that, I think that's well said and relationship, you know, we, we can, we can quantify those things now. So the things that so many people thought were soft skills in the day, are now quantifiable. And when we measure the impact they have on the experience of athletes, things like creating trust connections are one of the things we measure. We measure the amount of psychological safety the coaches create on their team. We can You can have a coach that is brilliant in the game, but they don't have any structure to their practices. And so there are a series of themes that we uh, analyze and measure for coaches that the, the degree to which helps one become more transformational versus transactional. So does the, well, I mean, w w would you say that on the transformational end, it's, really how much you can get your players to actually trust you and to let them know how much you actually care about them that will make them perform better. Is that? That's one, Jimmy, that's one of the themes that is arguably the most, uh, if you were to create like this pyramid and at the base, you know, the, the top being completely transformational, you can't get there without creating the base. And the base of that pyramid would be connections, trust connections, and creating psychologically safe environments. So they're not the only ones, but they're certainly the two that I believe are most foundational. And what's really interesting across the board, whether we're looking at, you know, baseball, basketball, football, volleyball, tennis, it doesn't matter. Um, they're the two that coaches typically score lowest in. You know, things like structure, challenge, skill development, and communication, coaches all score above the 80th, per, uh, their average is above the 80th percentile. That means eight out of 10 of their student athletes give them positive marks in those theme areas. And below that, you, you've got trust connections in the low 70s and psychological safety in the mid 60s. So those are the two most important, but yet the two that coaches struggle the most with. Now, I have to preface this by saying, or follow this by saying, 
it's not because coaches are bad. I think coaches are amazing. I, they're, you know, at the levels, they ain't in it for the money, right, gentlemen? No. So, no. <laughs> um, but what we, our, our theory on this, and this is just our theory, because we know where the scores are, but our theory is, is that coaches don't know their, the strength of their trust connections. They don't know the psychological safety of the environments that they've created. And in, and until they get actual data back, and that's usually the eye opener when coaches will look at data and go, oh, whoa, 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 only 60% of my players believe I have a trust connection with them and only half of them feel psychologically safe. Then what they realize is that not that you, it's, we're not measuring whether or not coaches care. What we're helping them understand is this is just what your players believe about the relationship with you. So then we help coaches understand how they need to be intentional about creating trust connections as opposed to just hoping or assuming they happen. Right, right. And that's this, again, another parallel between kind of business and, and coaching, as, as I talk about with my trainees all the time, is we got to stop relying on dumb luck to be successful. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have to do the work, put in the hours, do the work and go out and get the business from a sales standpoint. And from a coaching standpoint, it's like you said, just because, uh, you know, I give high fives to, to everybody as, as they're coming home doesn't mean that I've got a, a, any type of actual relationship. That doesn't mean that I'm going outside. And, and I think, again, it boils back down to the whole getting out of your comfort zone thing where it's we're not really taught any of that. If we didn't, since most coaches, all right, so look at it this way. Since most coaches don't do it now, they certainly weren't doing it back when like Jimmy and I were playing, right? Because things have gotten more touchy-feely now than they were back then by miles, mm-hmm. right? So if we didn't see that as an example, where are we going to come up with that unless we actually do the research and talk to somebody like yourself and really learn how to uh, learn how to do it and why to do it? Yeah. And, and you bring up a good point, David, which it, two, two things. I'll bring one up now because I'll probably forget the other one in a minute. Um, <laughs> but I was just visiting uh, recently with a gentleman who sits on a board of a, of a club and I can't remember the sport. But the board was talking about how, hey, when we hire new coaches, what's the one thing kind of what, what do we need to train? What do we need to do? And the board all sat there and thought, well, we need to tell them the drills they should run in practice. And his, and his big deal is, are you kidding me? That's like dead last. That's the last thing we should be teaching them. We need to teach them how to make connections with their players. We need to teach them how to have a structured environment. That doesn't just mean what type of drill you run. We need to teach coaches how to create a psychologically safe environment to where athletes can be included. They can feel free to play at their highest level without fear of negative consequences. So those are the things that that coaches really need to be taught. Now, the, the, the second part of what I was going to say because you use the word touchy feely and you're right. That is accurate. But one of the things I think that coaches and, and even athletic directors are, have misunderstood is growth only occurs in a state of discomfort. We pay coaches to create healthy discomfort to help their student athletes grow. And this whole idea that we need to be this big group kumbaya, group hug fest, isn't real. Yes, we need to respect. We need to love. We need to take care of each other, right? But to think that's at the expense of not challenging athletes, you know, making them uncomfortable is wrong. And we can now measure, too, a coach's ability to challenge athletes in a healthy way. And I say healthy because we don't want them using fear as a way to challenge. Right. right? One of uh, the things that I, I talk about with my players is be comfortable being uncomfortable. We're trying in a practice setting, we are trying to create a situation where you're going to be uncomfortable because you're learning something new. So I want you as a coach to understand that and say, okay, I'm comfortable 
failing here is what it really is. We're pushing you to to the point of fail failure in practice, which is uncomfortable. Yeah. And one of the Jimmy, that's that's a really good point, because one of what's unique about athletics versus business is um, athletics not only has the physical or, or the mental discomfort of change, just like they do in business, but in the world of sport, there's also physical discomfort. I mean, to 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 grow aerobically, we have to push the limits. We have to stretch ourselves, right? To gain muscle mass, you have to lift weight. You have to tear muscle fiber, and it regrows stronger. So yes. that's why sports is so unique because we have that physical discomfort and the mental discomfort that coaches really need to handle well. So actually, when it comes down to pushing the kids t- to fail. And again, it, it all kind of gets wrapped up in, in the mental performance of athletes and all of this, where a lot of players are really not used to failing. They really have never failed. And even if they did, um, it was always, uh, my experience has been is there's, there's always like a reason for it. I don't want to say excuse, but, and sometimes it can be an excuse, but there's always something why I failed. and. It's something that that we, we we need to work with our players to make them understand that number one, it's okay to fail. It's okay. It happens to everybody. And number two, how do we get through that failure and move on? Because by having that failure, it's going to make us grow. Right. There, there's discomfort and failure. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that is, you know, when you go to elite levels, and I've had the wonderful fortune of working with like Olympic sports psychologists and, and sports psychiatrists and Navy SEALs, and they deliberately create environments of failure. Simply, number one, to, to see how you respond. And number two, that's where the greatest growth occurs. And yes. coaches and parents need to allow the failures to occur. And I, and I remember I, I shared this story in my first TED talk when my daughter had in high school moved to Florida uh, to play in one of these elite tennis academy things and I called her coach up one day and I said, hey, how long has it been since Maddie's been pushed into what, what we refer to as chaos? And, and I'll never forget his response. His response is funny you'd ask, Bill, because we got there yesterday. She broke down into tears on the tennis court. And I remember this so vividly because she was one of my kids that never cried. But th- the biggest lesson in there was not so much for her, but for me as a dad and as a, and as, as a coach in, in, in athletics and as a leader in business. Because my old self, before I understood, and we even developed in my first TED Talk, I don't know, Jimmy, is it's called Why Comfort Will Ruin Your Life. Yeah. And we created this model of understanding how these environments impact it. But anyway, my old self, when I heard those words, hey, funny you'd ask, she broke down in tears on the court. You know, I was, the old Bill wanted to get on a plane and fly down there. Because, well, something must be wrong. And besides, I'm a fix-it guy, right? I, I help things get better. You got a problem, I'll remove the obstacle. I'll let you perform, I'll let you do your work. And what I realized was all I was doing was helping people stay comfortable. And, and the new bill that understands this whole growth concept and growth occurs in discomfort and why the science behind it, you know, I just gave a little fist pump and said, yeah, keep going, you know? And then his next words, of course, were the most poignant ones I had ever heard. He goes, yeah, but he goes, Bill, she broke down in tears on the tennis court yesterday, but I got to tell you, he goes, it took a hell of a lot longer to get her to that place this month than it did last month. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I learned that let them be in pain, let them be, let them fail in a healthy environment. That's okay do anything except bail them out. And I agree with that hundred percent. Right. And it's the difference of like the last part that you just said, being in a healthy environment and pushing somebody 
to failure in a practice environment is entirely different than what happens in a game, you know, and it's prepping them for what's going to happen in a game because again, it's inevitable. I don't care how good you are, you know, highest batting average in the league is less than well, less than 400. So, you know, once out of every three times is all that the best player is going to, is going to hit the ball is, is going to hit the ball safely. So, uh, we have to be in a position to be comfortable with that, but to do it in a safe way, in a healthy way. And then there are the times, but it is also balancing out. Jimmy and I talked about this uh, many times where as a coach, as a father, we're balancing out that whole want to grab them and give them a hug versus see if they can figure it out on their own and build, you know, build off of it that way and then give them the hug afterwards. When yeah, it's, when or, it's or, or a hug on both ends, right? Yeah, and, and that's that's knowing your players. And I in, in in business one time, one of the best compliments I ever had was I'm not even sure she was she knew it was a compliment, but she said to a group, somebody was asking about working with me, and her comment was, Bill cares enough to make me uncomfortable. Hmm. And that was yeah. one of the best comments I had ever ever gotten from any people on our team. Yeah. Yeah, they have to experience it. The stories that you were just telling reminds me of, of a player I had. This is going back several years ago. He was on the mound. He was having a bad outing. And which, as a coach, I know that's going to happen to my pitchers. I was fine sure. with it. You know, I was letting him go. And his body language was horrible. I mean, he was basically pouting on the mound. So I called timeout. I walked out to him. And I said, uh, going pretty bad, isn't it? So he goes, yeah, coach, you know, and his head is down and this and that. I said, listen to me. I said, you're not coming back to the dugout. I said, you're going to figure out a way to get through this. And we're going to we're going to see where it goes from here. And I went back to the dugout. And then within whatever the next, I'm not going to say he got the next three batters out, but things changed and he fought through it and got through it. And that's to your point is. I'm not going to bail you out in that situation. No, you're going to learn how to fight through it. And that's going to make you a better player in the end. Yeah. I I love that, Jimmy, because in the professional world, they wouldn't give that chance. If you haven't figured it out by then, you ain't going to do it now, right? You're, you're coming back. So that's, I love that story. And with your permission, I even share that down the road. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what? It kind of moves us into something that I wanted to talk to you about because it was something that I believe I heard you say, or I I read about it about is winning important. And the data says, no. Well, when we were deciding whether or not we were going to make a very strategic move into the world sports, uh, we started doing focus groups with athletic directors, with parents, with coaches, with student athletes. And, um, And one of the things we learned from ADs and coaches was the thing that was most important to them. Beyond a doubt, they all agreed the most important thing was, number one, we want our coaches to create a positive athlete experience, first and foremost. Then we thought, okay, but what about coaches? So coaches, and they're like, nope, first and foremost, we want we want a positive athlete experience. We want to prepare our kids for life beyond the sport. So it was interesting because then my next question was, as we were in these focus groups and it was uh, actually, it wasn't my question. It was our director of research. She wouldn't let me talk. She was smart. Uh, <laughs> she said, okay. Um, so the most important thing to you, you all agreed is whether or not your coaches are creating a positive athlete experience. And then she said, uh, is that happening? And then the room got really quiet. And they, we, then you heard the, the worst words, like, well, we hope it is. <laughs> they couldn't quantify it. And, that's, and that was our, our whole business model then became, okay, if we can help you quantify the experience they have, would that be good to know? So, yes. And then what's interesting, just recently, and we were talking a little bit about this, not certainly don't want to open up a can of worms, but we were commissioned by a school district recently to uh, do some work researching parents of student athletes in high school. And our executive director research sent out, she wasn't even sure how we're going to do this, what, we're going to, what do they want, and so on and so forth. So she sent out to the parents this, has them answer, rate 
12 items. Uh, and the question is, how important are each of these coaching behaviors to you as a parent or guardian on a scale of one to 10? And there are 10 things she or 12 things she listed. And then they're completely randomized. So anybody who got it, you know, they were in different order. I answered them in a different order than the other parents did, so on and so forth, right? So it's done well. And here's what's interesting. Of the 12 items, guess of the, of, of the 12, guess which, what thing parents said was the least important in, in regards to their coaches and their student athletes. What was the least important thing? You guys have any idea? Oh, winning? Yes. Bingo, David. That was the least important thing. That was number 12 of 12. Number 11 of 12 was giving my student athletes playing time. But guess what number one was? Being a good role model for my student athlete. That was the most important thing, ironically tied with this one. Caring about my student athlete as a person. Those were average scores of 9.7 on a 10-point scale. Winning was 4.2. And here's what's also in her two more. So those two were tied for number one. And then the next two at 9.3, these were also tied. Building my student-athlete's confidence was number three. And telling my student-athlete when they do a good job. The top four had nothing to do with with. Technical acumen, baseball acumen had nothing to do with that. Winning was last. Playing time was second to last. Those were the top four. That's amazing. Yeah, and it, it's curious. I, I'm I'm not surprised that winning was. I, I won't say it was last. I'll say I wouldn't. I'm not surprised that winning was near the bottom. At least the playing time thing shocks me. Based mm -hmm. off of some of the interactions that I've had with parents over the last two years, I've been coaching at JV level for the last two years was, I mean, all right, well, I guess, you know, it's time to do some, some hard self-reflecting and get uncomfortable with it. You know, maybe, maybe I'm not setting as much of a, of a role model, not setting myself up as, as, as much of a role model as, as I think I am, but Playing time definitely has been more of the conversations that I've had with, or me and my my coach have had with parents than anything in, in regards to, um, you know, the stability or the uh, mental health or the um, confidence. Yeah, and 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 David, I don't. I think most coaches would agree with you in terms of what those conversations with parents are around. What I hear is is that. So I have a couple different theories on a. Are we, it's kind of like the media. Um, nobody published today that, you know, 185 million people drove to work safely and had productive days and right. came home and fed their family's dinner and had a nice family conversation, right? Right. But the guy who right. got in a wreck came home, beat his wife and kicked the kids out of the house, right? That right. makes, that right. makes the meat, that makes the news. So number one, is it just those we hear? But number two, now this isn't so much serious. I think this is a fact. I can intellectually understand what's important and what I want. Now, how I behave sometimes can be different. Okay. Now, now that sounds better. So, yeah. Right. So I know it's, it's, it's not as important as those other items. It's number 11 of 12. It's, you know, there's 10 other items that are more important to me, but now what drives my behavior could be a different story. Right. That's it's much that, more personal. It's much more personal and selfish of, if you're sitting in the stands and I've been there sitting in the stands and your kid not playing, then I think that emotion comes up hot. The other ones aren't as under normal circumstances, unless there's an extreme case, don't trigger the emotions as much as that visual of, of not, not being able to see your kid partake. Right, David. I think, I, I think that's accurate. It is. Okay. We, 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 we use the term intellectual understanding versus emotional readiness. You know, I can intellect, intellectually understand it, but it doesn't mean I'm emotionally ready to do anything right. about it. Kind of like exercise or weight loss or, you know, everybody believes diet and exercise leads to a longer and healthier lifestyle, right? Our, our life. Nobody would disagree with that. But nine out of 10 people don't diet or exercise properly every day. 
Right. Right. I'm not emotionally ready to give up my drink when I go in tonight or, or eat my pizza. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I had a conversation with a friend of ours and she was talking about how she's been trying to lose. She's like, Oh, I'm, I'm trying to lose weight. And I'm thinking about afterwards, like I've been hearing that for, I don't know, three years now, you're not trying to lose weight. You want to lose weight. And those are two entirely different, two entirely different matters. Yes, you're right. right? I like the way you worded that. You're not trying to, you're desirous of. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you want to, but if you, if you were trying to, I don't care what your status, you know, what your metabolism and, you know, something, something would be, you'd be moving in the right direction. Right. But I got to tell you that 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 survey that you did with the parents really, really threw me for a loop because I would have gotten that exactly the opposite of the way it came out. And I understand that winning is not and is not important at the age levels that I coach. It's not to me. Winning doesn't become important until you get to varsity. But. I believe that most parents don't understand that, that they, that that's their thing. They want to win. And again, it's not because of, of, you know, necessarily the way I feel it's what I've heard, you know, oh, this team doesn't win. That team doesn't win. We want to be on that team because they win. So it's interesting. That was really interesting because like I said, I would have had that, that list totally opposite than the way it was. Yeah. Yeah. And I think back to David's point, I think was, was was spot on with the example you know i i know this is best for my kid you know that the coach cares about cares about them as a person that they're a good role model they build my kids confidence you know they tell them when they do a good job i know that is most important emotionally you know i don't know if i'm there yet (laughs) that's really interesting yeah i could see you know you think about the whole idea of the winning like probably the the best kid on the team, the second best, maybe third best, their parents, it's probably, they're not worrying about the playing time because their their kid's getting it, never coming off the field. And winning is probably most important, especially if you go outside of school, because if that team's not winning, then I'll just take my kid and put them on another team that will win or or whatever. And then as you go down the line, you know, players five, seven, 10, that's where it's going to get away from winning to the playing, you know, I would think to the playing time and, and all that and, and making my child more comfortable and, and all those things I could see definitely moving up the ladder. Yeah. And I want to do, so we haven't done this yet, but I want to do some research on uh, coaching behaviors and a correlation between that and playing uh, complaining parents, because what I believe in, in, and this is just my subjective when I've followed some teams and coaches and, and, and saw behaviors and how they ran their teams the coaches that did all kinds of extra things outside of the gym and off the fields right the things like team retreats where they had vulnerability exercises where the teams bonded you know beyond the fields and courts having the team set individual goals, holding one-on-one meetings with athletes, and then having ongoing conversations about the gaps between where they are and what leads to playing time. Having team values, they always come back to that, hey, playing time is earned in practice. And that doesn't mean just because you, you, you are a hard worker in practice doesn't mean you may get playing time because there's still skill involved, right? For coaches who do all of these things, they seem, again, subjectively, they seem to, don't they, eh, we don't have parent issues. Yeah, I don't, I don't hear from parents. Because the kids go home, they're not complaining to mom or dad. You know, they feel like they're part of something bigger. So, again, I don't have much to support that with you, but that's where I'm headed. Well, well I, I, I could tell you as far as that goes, and the, the way I sum up what you just said was pretty much just being honest, letting everybody know where they stand. And throughout my career, I've had very little parent problems because if somebody comes to me and and Dave and I have have spoke about this many times, if somebody comes to me and they said, why isn't little Johnny playing? I'll give you exactly why he's not playing. And nine out of 10 times it comes down to attitude because 
they haven't learned yet that it's it's 100% all the time. You know, this is this is the way we play the game. And so to sum it up, like I said, I, I think what, what you were just talking about basically comes if you're honest with the parents, nobody's going to fault you for that. But you better have your ammunition and you better be right. Yeah. And 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 what uh, what we tell some of the programs we work with to tell their coach to do is ask parents, have you asked little Johnny first? Because a little Johnny can't tell you that that's my fault, right? Right. As a coach, right. little Johnny should right. be able to say, here's my gap and here's why I'm not on the field very much yet. Right. And I mean, to, right. to, to further that, whenever, whenever a parent has come to me with an issue, what I, the first thing I say is, where's Johnny? And they're like, what do you mean? <laughs> We're not going to have this conversation without him here because I don't know what he's telling them. I don't know what they're telling him. So let's put everybody together. And when it comes out, and again, another story, I have a million stories. There was a player that his dad was upset because his playing time was, was down and, you know, called the player over. And I said, I said, how's your hitting going? So he says, well, I'm not too good coach. I said, okay, have you been doing the work at home? And right away, the dad chimes in. Yeah, he's been hitting every day, you know, two buckets of balls every day, this and that. So I said, that's great. I said, have you been hitting? So the kid looks at me and he said, um, he goes, yeah, I have, coach. I said, are you working? I said, now be careful how you answer this. I said, because I know the answer. Have you been working on the drills that I told you to work on? Or are you just hitting the ball off the tee just for the sake of hitting the ball off the tee? And he looked at me, his head went down. And I said, there's the problem right there. I said, do the drills. You'll hit better. When you hit, you'll get on the field. And I was true to my word. He started hitting better. He got in. And by the end of the season, the dad came over to me and said, thank you for being honest with me. He said, yeah, because yeah. it made him become better. And that kid's name was Bryce Harper. And now today, <laughs> leading the Phillies to the World Series. <laughs> Oh my God. I bet you the kid wishes he was Bryce Harper, but uh, it wasn't Bryce Harper. <laughs> don't we all? Uh, but so, yeah, I, I, when, when you're dealing with parents in those situations, honesty is to me the, the, the best principle. And then always have the player there with you so that, you know, you can, you could nip everything in the bud right then and there and go to work. Yeah. The, I think the only thing I'll, 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 I'll say to maybe wrap up the parent piece of this is, I don't believe they're going away. You know, I don't see parents going, you know what? I'm not going to get involved in my kids' athletics anymore. So <laughs> everything from club sports to high schools and colleges, and uh, they, they have to learn to work with them. Don't circle your own wagons and say, screw their parents over here. They have to find a way to work with them. And, and it's things like, this that we're doing that we're trying to help organizations understand that they can be your ally done done correctly so i just hope uh, you know these programs learn to include parents appropriately in the right ways so you know i'll i'll agree with that also because the travel organization that i was i was um coaching with the the director you know the person who owned it his philosophy was, I don't want to talk to the parents. And he didn't. He didn't talk to the parents at all. I have a different philosophy. I want to talk to the parents. I want to know what's going on. This is their kids whose quote unquote baseball career is in my hands. I want to, I want to work with them to help that kid. I think you need that conversation. I want to know. And if, and if I do something wrong, I also want to hear that they think I did something wrong because Maybe I did. Maybe I can correct it. It's going to make me better as a coach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I agree with yeah. you 100%. I think that the parents should be involved to some degree. Again, like you said, appropriately. Yeah, I can tell you from my experience, because at one point I was involved in that organization just as a dad. And there was, um, it's one of the reasons why I wasn't, you know, we didn't stay with that organization is because the communication from the top just wasn't there. You know, I myself had uh, tried to engage the owner. Uh, I tried to engage the coach of my son's team. It wasn't Jimmy. And the, it was very, very short answers. And it wasn't my kids not playing. Trust me. Uh, I've coached long enough and done enough where that's, that's that by itself 
is never the question. And these were little, these are younger kids, 10, 11 years old kids that you don't expect to be able to have that conversation with an adult themselves. But it was more of, you know, tell me, tell me why just the same things I would, I would want somebody to ask me as a coach. I wish they would ask me, tell me why, as opposed to just complaining that it's happening. Tell me, you know, come and ask me why that's happening. And I'm happy, just like Jimmy said, I'm happy to have that conversation. I'll have my ammo there. Um, not getting any answer when it comes to that or, uh, you know, bringing kids in as guest players. That was a, a, a big thing that I was promised was not going to happen at that organization. And when I tried to broach it with the owner, I was completely brushed off. And then he was shocked at the end of the year. At the end of the year, he decided to have a parent meeting. But at that point, it was more of a business decision, trying to hope that these kids were going to come back the right. next year and play. And only only three of us showed up to the meeting out of, I'm going to say there was 13 kids on the team, something like that. Three of us showed up to the meeting and he was shocked, A, that that's all it showed up. And he was shocked that none of the three of us were planning on coming back because of the way that that the year went. And it's one of those things, if you if you're going to shut down the lines of communication, then you can't be surprised when when things go bad. Yeah. Coaches, ADs, club owners, club directors. Hey, you you want to know what's happening? You, you want to get things better out there? Look in the mirror. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, tough, tough lesson there. And we actually did a whole show on on communication because that's how important communication I is. That, yeah. Better, yeah, better coaches are better communicators. Period. The end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's a it's a reoccurring theme on our show is about you know coaching the coaches on and like we talked about earlier. How do they know what to do? Anybody can go on to YouTube and watch dozens and hundreds of videos on how to turn a double play or how to, you know, how to, how to put the bunt down in the right place, but getting the most out of your players, we have to go to the mental aspect of the, of the game. And a lot of that has to do with communication. Mm-hmm. So, so taking a, a wild left turn with you, in addition to your other accolades and things that you've done, I know that you're involved with training therapy dogs as well. And uh, this is something that's a little, little near and dear to my heart. I, uh, my family fostered uh, a training dog, a therapy dog for kids with autism last year. Uh, we had them for about a year and a half, and it was just a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, experience. Uh, and if you want to just try to talk briefly about how you got involved in that and, and what the what the purpose, what what the goals are of your program. Well, I, I don't. First of all, I don't. I don't have a program on it. Um, I, I've always enjoyed training, uh, dogs as, as a kid, um, we had Labradors and so I got involved in that and I've had, and a lot of people think that, Hey, you must be a great trainer. You've got amazing dog. And I'll say singular, not plural on that right now, you know, and what they have to know is that, you know, Probably only, I mean, my goodness, there was a documentary out called Pick of the Litter. And they're talking, and they're, the focus is on service animals, not therapy dogs, but service animals. But still, only two out of five. This is male-female breeding, male service dog, female service are breeding to put out service puppies, right? Still only two out of five make it. Wow. So I, I get a lot of credit. And which is really kind of funny, but I would tell you, it's more the dog. She's smarter than I am. (laughs) But I realized um, through my dog training work that I love to do. And she's right now outside my office window looking at me like, why am I here? And you and I don't get that. That she was very unique. Um, She just was emotionally intelligent at a different kind of level. And so she and I started to do a lot of training work and doing a lot of things. And then one thing led to the other. And my philanthropic approach, I don't, I'm not a big board guy, go, you know, sit on board, donate money or whatever it is. You know, I like to be hands-on in what I do, um, whether it's helping out an athletic team or, you know, therapy dog work. And, and it allows uh, Aspen and me to work in hospitals What's funny is we've probably done as much therapy dog work with athletic teams as we have anywhere. Wow. 
the the request to to have her with athletic teams is is shocking to me, but cool. How how does that work? Um, well, it depends. You know, um, uh, I won't go into specific names, but some schools are way more open to it than others. Mm-hmm. But if you had said volleyball practices and watch volleyballs come whipping by her head and things that slow down, and she just walk out onto the court and girls would be huddling and she'd go in the huddle and they'd pet her and then and then they'd come off and there was just in gymnastics she would while they're doing stretch she'd go out in the mats with the girls and be running between their legs and while they're stretching backwards you know and they they just all giggled and just it just brings as you know a different atmosphere or different um relaxation it it, it softens it does amazing mm-hmm. things to people so is kind it of a, is kind that- of a Oh, go ahead, Dave. Uh, so kind of a positive distraction from the stress and the anxiety that might be building with, with athletes as they're going through these motions. Oh, that, yeah. It, it's a stress reducer. Um, you know, uh, yes, there were some girls that would get done with an apparatus and always come over and touch her. You know, they thought it was maybe a good luck charm or they just, you know, pet, you know, pet behind her ears and she would just look up at them. Um, which is really no different than a little boy in a hospital, a little girl in the hospital when she'd go and, you know, sit by their bed and just, they'd reach a hand over and just, you know, they may have been injured or hurt or sick and they couldn't move, but they could put a hand on her head and she would just freeze her head so they could touch her. Um, and that's awesome. Yeah. Those, that's, that's one of the more life-changing things I've done. So that's I'm fantastic. Gonna continue doing it. yeah, thank you. What's that? I'm going to continue doing it. Yeah. 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 That's great. Another thing that I wanted to get into, and one of the things that I either read or or that I heard you say was about just because a person can do something well does not necessarily mean that that person can lead. So Dave and I have talked about this many times. It goes back to say like a Michael Jordan, fantastic basketball player, greatest one of the greatest of all time if not the greatest you would think that he would be a very good coach because of what he knows however that's usually not the case is that what you meant by that yes yeah yeah. and thank you for that entree but yes that's that's exactly what I mean well there's there's very little relationship between playing the sport and coaching the sport when we did another bit of research on top 10 items and um, you ask in, in business, we did this in business where in a sales department, what is your sales leader? What are they best at? And number one is product knowledge. Number two is market and industry knowledge, right? And then when we started to discuss what creates motivation to perform or what creates the most discretionary effort from a leadership standpoint, Industry knowledge and product knowledge were dead last. They were number nine and 10. Number one was my manager's ability to coach me. So I'm not saying it's not, I I, I do believe it helps to have played the game to coach the game, but that is a check the box. Do you know the game? Yeah, done. Move that aside. Then everything else matters. And when we studied, again, this is in, in business, when we studied great, Great coaches. I mean, those like the top 5%, which is what they were. That Meaning that 94%, I think is what the number, 94% of people, salespeople, for example, will not make a great coach. So you're looking at 5 to 6%. That's it. So yeah, there's very little correlation between playing the game and coaching the game. And, and usually you brought up Jordan as an example. What those behaviors that made Jordan so extremely good, the, the result was he was an amazing, arguably the best ever. You got to have some pretty extreme behaviors, right? Which sure. is different than Steve Kerr. Those behaviors were a lot different than Steve Kerr using that yes. as an example. So, Right. 
Right. And, and it's, it's something we've, we've talked about it on the, on the show before. And I was just amongst friends or whatever, when it's the old, those that can't do teach type, type of, type of thing is, but for, for some of the elite athletes, it's also while, and, and I mean, you look at Michael Jordan was a, a training monster also, as far as himself, he continually pushing himself, but you go down a, a, a tier below him. Well, I guess everybody's a tier below him, but you know, <laughs> a, a couple, a couple of tiers below him. And, and, uh, you know, you look at like more, these guys that get drafted in, in the first couple of picks and they want it washing out of the league in a couple of years. It's not because of talent right? It, it more than likely it's because of drive. It's because of drive and work ethic and determination and those kinds of things. But sometimes those best athletes, because things came so easily to them, how do, how, how would you explain that to a, to a nine-year-old or a seven-year-old or even a 15-year-old of like, oh, just jump up and put the ball in the hoop. I mean, that's, duh, you know, how, why, why can't you jump up? 12 feet and put the ball in. I don't understand. So, and you know, from a baseball standpoint, if you can hit a hundred mile an hour fastball, you are at the absolute elite best, of the best, you know, arguably the hardest thing to do in sports. Can you necessarily tell somebody how to, how to do that? Yeah, and show and what, somebody how to do it. And what's funny, David is um, it wasn't our research, but I remember visiting with somebody about it that studies talent, these things. And, and her comment was, they found the direct correlation between people who do it extremely well that can hit the hundred mile an hour fastball. The correlation was they suck at being able to tell people how they do it. Right. You know, it's like, <laughs> cause they just do I, it. Michael Phelps. How do you do? I don't know. I just move my arms. Right. You right. know, right. Uh, how do you run so fast? I move my legs, I guess. I don't, you know, <laughs> right. Right. Barry Sanders that- never told you how he could do what he did. Right. 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 You know, it's, it's most, and you look at like in the NFL, most of the successful coaches might've played, but they weren't like Zed, they weren't Barry Sanders run, run, right. running, running all over. I don't think Bill over, Belichick ever had that designation, did he? Yeah. No, look at, look at the, <laughs> right. yeah. Look at the physique. You know, most of them are five foot, nothing, a hundred and whatever pounds. Right. As far as the, the better coaches, obviously they weren't the, they weren't the best of the best because they had to learn the right way to do things in order to even get to that level because they weren't that physical specimen. Yeah. And they all know people better than they know the sport. Yeah. I and mean, right. Phil Jackson is a genius with people. Right. Well, that, right. that's where the difference is. I mean, you know, those guys are high level athletes, but you know, there's, there's a difference between a high level athlete and a leader. You don't necessarily have to be a high level athlete to lead athletes. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. different, different, different talents. That's for sure. Yeah. So one of the things I forgot, and I usually mention this is we have on our websites and it's free. There's no gimmicks or hooks attached, but we have a transactional versus transformational self-assessment that coaches can go in and take. It gives them an automatic report right when they're done and they can, they can look now, granted it's a self-assessment, right? So, right. But it is still helps people understand that this, that it's more of a seamless journey as it is than just I'm here or I'm here. I can't be, you know, as opposed to I start here and move to here. And that's, so that's at your main website, the billextrom.com. No, no, actually that's at excelsports.com. And Excel is E C. S E L L. So Excel, not with an X, with a C E C S E L L sports.com. There's the self-assessment out there. Again, get comfortable getting uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, don't no BS. If you're going to take this, make it worth your while. And we suggest everybody get out there. Anybody that even parents or coaches, regardless, get out there and take it and, and be honest with yourself when you're doing it. Don't try to figure out what answer they're looking for. Let's let, cause that's the natural, you know, that's the natural tendency when we do these things. Um, you know, you got to take a, a hard look in the mirror and do some self-reflection when it comes to this stuff, you might not like the answer, but how are you going to get better if you're not faced with that? Well said, David, well said. <laughs> I can tell you that I'm going to visit that site and take that myself as soon as we're done here. <laughs> But you'll I, enjoy I, it. it it is fun and you'll you there's a lot of those things will make you pause so oh i'm sure I, I matter of fact it wasn't that long ago it was probably maybe the beginning of this year where i took a 
And I'm not sure exactly what it was called, but basically what it does is you go through this question and answer and it kind of spits out how you are as a coach. And I got to tell you something, it was spot on. And, you know, like, like David said, you know, be honest with your answers. They were questions that were totally unrelated to what I I don't want to say unrelated to, but they, they weren't what you think that they would be. And they were questions that you, you had to answer honestly, pretty much. And let me tell you something, it spit that thing out. It was dead accurate of how I am as a coach. Good. Well, yeah. So yes. And that's hopefully ours is ours is the same. If you answer truthfully. Yeah, that, that, that's why I'm curious. I want I want to get on. I want to do it. Yeah, good. Yeah, that's awesome. So we'll we'll both take it, and then we'll uh, we'll put out our results afterwards. <laughs> and um, so I've, I'm assuming there's also there's tools out there to help you to grow and to get you towards where you want to be and on more of the uh, transformative side. Sure, of course, of course. Yeah, we we've got stuff on our website, and people can engage with me. I'm a all over social, I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn. I don't really do Facebook, but I'm Twitter and LinkedIn and then um, Instagram as well. The, I do have a personal website, BillExstrom.com and ExcelSports.com is the sports division. And come visit us. Come, you know, reach out to me if you have any questions or concerns or want to banter about any of the things we've discussed. Well, that's great. Well, hey, you know, listen, we know everybody's time is valuable. We appreciate you taking some time out of your day and spending some time with us here. I really enjoyed the conversation. Bill, can't thank you enough for coming on. Uh, We'll get your information out there to everybody. And uh, I encourage everybody to, like we said before, take a look out there and see um, in order for you to have any personal growth and change as a coach, as a parent of of an athlete, you need to know where you're starting from and then you need the tools in order to get to, to get better at what you do. So uh, these are things that Bill can help you with. So I definitely encourage everybody to check it out. Well, David and Jimmy, thank you all very much. It's been an honor to be with you both. And this was fun engaging. You guys ask great questions and it was, it was my pleasure. Now I would say the pleasure was all ours, Bill. Thank you for coming and let's do it again sometime. I would like that. I really would. So I know everyone out there had to enjoy that conversation. You know, it, it was a little different than what we usually talk about on this show in terms of how we train our players and what we need to do to be better coaches for our players. Well, what I took away from what Bill was, was telling us here is that as coaches, there's another aspect of what we do that we need to be trained on and we need to learn how to do. And, you know, it goes back to everything that I always said about educating coaches, that there's just so much stuff that we need to learn to become the best that we could possibly be. And Bill just threw another, you know, another piece of the puzzle out there that that can help us to become better coaches. I really enjoyed the conversation. And I think that, uh, you know, I'd love to have Bill back on another time to get a little bit deeper into this subject so that we can all become better coaches. So I want to encourage everybody to go out there and pick up a copy of Bill's book, The Coaching Effect. There's just so much stuff that he discusses in that book that's going to help everybody in the long run. The other thing, too, is take a look on YouTube and look up Bill Ekstrom. That's E-C-K-S-T-R-O-M. And look at a few of his TED Talks. There's a lot of stuff in his TED Talks, again, that is going to be beneficial to everybody out there. On that note, we would we would love it if you guys would go ahead and share the show, share it with a friend, share it with somebody that you don't like that much, bring it to your team, especially a show like this. Uh, review us, give us five stars, give us a thumbs up, whatever you can to help spread the message. We appreciate it. You can reach out to us on Twitter at the CTB show. So on Twitter at the CTB show, you can email us at clearing the bases at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you guys. Give us some other uh, suggestions for future shows that you're looking for. And, uh, you know, we're happy to hear from you. Happy to interact from you. I have people that uh, reach out to me. I know Jimmy, you do as well on Facebook or on Twitter. And it's great to listen, hear our fans and our fellow baseball enthusiasts 
really talk about some of the topics of the day and and give us feedback. Like I said, we're, we're definitely open to new and different types of directions that we go like we have for the last couple of shows here. So uh, on that note, I'll say, remember, the only two things in life that we can control at all times are effort and our attitude, positive mental attitude, PMA, 100% effort in everything you do. Great things will follow. Final thoughts, coach? We seem to be finding out with the more interviews that we do that there is so much more to coaching than just knowing, you know, how to throw the ball, how to hit the ball, how to run, how to catch. There's just so much more to it that we need to understand and we need to learn. What I think this interview brought out was the fact that the more you get to know your players and the more you get to understand your players, the more you would be able to help them in the long run, both with their baseball performance and also what they need to know moving forward in life in general. So with that being said, remember, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Thanks, everyone, and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you.